reading from the King James Version in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, verses 30, uh, 26 and 27. And if I could utter a prayer that God would do this to me, make this promise come true, I couldn't ask for anything better. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and call you to walk in my statues, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You may be seated. Very happy to be with you today. I'm very grateful for your presence today. I'm always very grateful for the privilege that brings us together to worship God and to read these great Bible passages, to sing these beautiful songs. I'm very grateful that you're with us so that we can all enjoy worshiping together and worshiping according to the New Testament. Uh, Thank you, Virgil, for reading that passage for us, Ezekiel 36. And I'd like to take the sentiments of that particular passage and discuss it today as it applies to us as New Testament Christians. A number of us have been out because of illness. We've all had some coughs and colds, and some have even had the flu. I've had problems with my own throat, and so if I can't speak just as loudly as I normally do or as forcefully as I normally do, I'm sure you'll understand. You may have to listen a little closer to me because I don't have the voice I normally have. In this particular setting, it's an apocryphal tale, but a young fellow was out one day and he found an eagle's nest, and in it, golden eagle's eggs. And he took one of those eggs out of the nest, carried it back with him, and he found a nest of prairie chickens, and he slipped that eagle's egg into the prairie chicken's nest. And as time would go along, this young eagle hatched out and was being raised by the prairie chickens. And he did what they did. He saw everybody doing what they did, and so he followed along and did what they did. He'd scratch in the ground like they did trying to find insects and seeds while he would squawk and walk around like prairie chickens did. And he didn't fly very high because prairie chickens didn't fly very high. He thought he was a prairie chicken like everyone else, so he acted like everyone else acted. And as he did, he only flew a couple of feet off the ground. One day... They were out eating and scratching and looking for seeds and insects. And he looked up overhead and there was a great golden eagle flying over the head. And one of the older prairie chickens that was with him said, Yeah, I see what you're looking at. That's a golden eagle, lord of the sky. But don't think you could ever be like that because you're just a prairie chicken. And because he was told he was just a prairie chicken... He went right back to acting like one. 
scratching in the ground, digging for insects, bugs, seeds, whatever he thought he could find. Have you ever been told that? Have you ever felt that way? That you can't change? That you're the way you are, that's the way you have to be, and there's no changing you? Perhaps you've posed that self-limitation on yourself and you've decided, well, this is just the way I am. Perhaps others have convinced you you've got to be this way. I've got good news for you today. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to be the way other people are. You don't have to live the way they live. You don't have to believe what they believe. You don't have to act the way they act. The Bible from beginning to end says that you can change. It's not an easy thing for you to do. It wasn't going to be an easy thing for a golden eagle raised as a prairie chicken to get out of that mold and to get out of that box and be all that he was capable of becoming. The Bible says you can do it. It won't be easy, but you can. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, the Bible tells us by means of the inspired Apostle Paul that God commands all men everywhere to repent. And that includes you and that includes me. And repentance means change. I've got to change. God expects me to change. God expects me to be what he wants me to be and not what everybody else is. God expects me to be the kind of person he created and not be made in the image of everyone else in the way they live and the way they think. You see, repentance is not punishment. There is a religious word that's thrown around a lot. It's called penance. Penance is not found in the Bible. The word penance is a type of punishment. Religious people use the word penance. But the Bible uses the word repentance. Repentance is not a punishment. Repentance is a change. It tells us not to be what we think we ought to be, but to repent means change and be what God wants you to be. The question is, are we willing to do it? I come to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. It's a Bible passage which talks about changing and being the way God wants me to be. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As you analyze that passage in Philippians 2, you see in verse 12, he talks about obeying in the A part of the passage and work in the B part of the passage. They are synonymous. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, they've been obedient to the will of God. They've heard the will of God, and they've changed, and they've done what God wants them to do. And it was not that they were perfect, but it was an ongoing work where they continued to better themselves and to be more and more what God wants them to be. And so he uses the word work in the B part of the passage. 
So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, don't give up on this matter of changing and growing and being what God wants you to be. Changing your heart and changing your mind. For it is God who works in you. Now, I didn't say there in verse 13 that God works for you, though he could have said that in some other passage. He says in verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is a kind of faith and action where God is working in us to make us what we need to be, a new heart and a new spirit about us. And so I'd like to talk this morning about that. I'd like to talk about what God wants me to be. I'd like to look at it from the standpoint of the Bible. And there's some new things that can really take place in my life. The Bible says that I can change. And the first thing that it talks about as far as changing is the new birth. A passage we read in John chapter 3. In fact, Jesus said that this is mandatory, it's not optional. He says in verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again or the new birth. You notice how it's sometimes described as new. It's a change. He says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's not an optional matter. Here's a change that I must make. It's a matter, verse 5, of being baptized into Christ. It's called a new birth, born of water and born of the Spirit. When an individual hears the will of God, and he understands the will of God for his life, that God wants him to change and to be what God expects of him, then that new birth process is to be engaged in, of repenting of sin and being baptized into Christ, and such is done for the remission of sins. A new relationship now takes place. No longer am I involved in the way of the world, but now I'm involved as a disciple of Christ. I've been born again. A change has taken place in me. A spiritual change has happened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there are a great Bible passage that talks about life after this one. And our heavenly dwelling, he brings this point up in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, watch it, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A change has taken place. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not the kind of person I was. Everything about me is new. I have this new life. I have this new relationship. I have this new outlook on life. That now I'm looking toward the future as my hope for eternal life, which I shall receive if I'm faithful to him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul brings up the same matter once again and I'd like to reference it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's very clear none of us can earn the salvation that God has. 
and God gives it to us as a gift. But it is based upon my obedient faith and my receiving and my reception of the will of God for my life. God is working on me. God is changing me. God is working on me on the inside. And I am working with God in order to bring this great change about. And for that reason, I'm not all that I ought to be. And I'm not all that I want to be. And I'm not all that I'm going to be. But thankful to God, I'm not what I used to be. Because I have a new beginning, a new birth, and a new life in Christ Jesus. I have made a change. And that change wasn't easy to make, but I could do it because of God's precious gift and his wonderful will and way for my life. The Bible says you can change. And you start off with a changed relationship with Christ and a new life. When a Jewish individual... A man, a Gentile, decided to proselyte and become a Jew. He was circumcised, and then he went to the temple and offered sacrifice. And then, in turn, he had a new way of looking at life. He had converted. He was baptized. He was washed according to the Jewish religion. And now all of his perspective was different. He was no longer a pagan or a Greek, or a Gentile. Now he had become a Jew. And we see accounts of this happening in the pages of the Bible. That's the way it is when an individual becomes a child of God, and they change. Their heart has changed. Their mind has changed. They've experienced the new birth. They've obeyed their Lord in baptism. And they've entered into the kingdom by obedient faith. But there's also a new identity. And this new identity is referenced for us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And then when I have changed with regard to my life, I now identify with the Lord and with his people. This passage teaches, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 10. Well, I've read for you this morning out of this great passage of the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And it talks about the fact that we once were no people at all, but now we're God's chosen people. We once were not a race of people at all, but now we're people with mercy and God's grace because of our obedience to the gospel of Christ. We have a new identity. We who were once no people at all now identify with Jesus Christ and with the people of God. It's a big change. It's a big change that you have to go through with regard to becoming a child of God and living the Christian life. This change, I think, is well explained in Philippians chapter 3, and I turn to that passage for you today to help illustrate this important point of a new identity. 
But our citizenship is in heaven, verse 20. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now I'm about to tell you something I never tell anybody. And it's something that happened in my past. And now that I have everyone's attention, I was born in Akron, Ohio. I couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. I don't tell people that. I don't tell people that. Somebody asked me one time, why were you born in Akron, Ohio? I said, because I wanted to be close to my mother. But my citizenship is not in Akron, Ohio. I used to live in California, outside of Los Angeles. I moved soon to Tennessee, so I really claim Tennessee is my home. Uh, they took me there before I was able to walk. I lived in California for a number of years, and I enjoyed living in California. Beautiful state. Beautiful weather. I enjoyed living in California, but my home's not in California. I thoroughly enjoy living in Tyler, Texas. When elders in uh, Tyler called me while I was living in California, I don't think I'd ever heard of Tyler, Texas before. Now I live in Tyler, Texas. I thoroughly enjoy living in Tyler, Texas. I enjoy it here. And I tell people, I've always loved Texas. But my citizenship is not in Texas. I have a new identity as a child of God. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven. That's a big change for an individual. No longer thinking about whether he lives in this state or that state. Oh, we go by the laws and rules and regulations of our respective municipalities and we live in our respective places and we learn to love our friends and neighbors and associates and that's just the way it is, isn't it? That's true for all of us. But when an individual becomes a Christian and he makes that kind of change in his life and he puts on a new heart and a new mind, he begins to think in a new direction. His citizenship. Oh, that's my permanent home. My permanent home is in heaven. I love the place I live. I love my friends, my family. But as a Christian, I'm changed now. I have a new identity, a new outlook. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. I have a new life, don't I? That's a big change for me. Uh, sometimes as a young individual growing up in the church, as we sometimes say, they don't really see a big change in their life. Their parents have been good Christian parents, and they've instructed them well, and they've lived a good example before them, and um, they have lived a good life even coming on up. But for some who hear the gospel, they see a big change in life and in outlook. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he tells us, In him also... You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Isn't that a great passage? The passage came from Colossians chapter 2, and I began to read verse 11, and I read on down through verse 13, and he made it very clear that at one time I was dead in my sins and dead in my trespasses, but now I have a new life, and when you look at the old life, it was a dead life because it was a life without Christ. But I made a change. I turned. I turned from that. I put on a new heart, and I put on a new mind, and by doing that, I have a new life. I experienced a new birth. I have a new identity. I have a new life. That's a lot of change for some people to make. Now the old things which were part of their life no longer exist because they put them to death, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. God raised Christ from the dead. And if God can raise Christ from the dead, he can change you by you being submissive to his will. Sometimes we miss that point. Person comes forward. Oh, happy day it is. They want to be baptized. They confess their faith. They're immersed in water. We bring them up out of the water. And what a happy day it is. The congregation's filled with happiness. Parents are filled with pride. Children loving the Lord and wanting to obey the gospel. Sometimes, though, all we see is the water. Now, to see the water is a good thing. Because God commanded water that a person is baptized in water. And that's part of God's plan, that a person be immersed in water for the remission of sins. See, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? The eunuch wanted to go down into the water. And so he goes down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and the eunuch baptized him, immersed him, that's what the word baptism means, to immerse. But sometimes that's all we see. All we see is the water. <clears throat> and it's a good thing to see the physical water. But there's something else going on. If we fail to see what God's doing behind that, we're going to miss the purpose of being baptized. Behind the water, what God is doing is cleansing and forgiving and making a change. No longer is that individual looked upon as being dead in sin. But now that individual is looked upon as being justified and made right before God. And God no longer considers them dead in sin. But God considers them to be justified and made right based on the blood of Christ. God who raised Jesus from the dead can cleanse you and justify you. If all we see is the water and not the new life, if all we see is the water and not what God is doing because of that obedient faith, we're missing the point of baptism altogether. I've got a big change that took place in my life. My life has changed. 
And no longer do you see the old individual doing what he did before. The transgressions are now gone. And the new life is now being lived. The old habits that were wicked and sinful that God would condemn. I've given them up. I'm not going to because I've got a new life. I've changed. The Bible says I can do that. I know it's tough. I know it's hard to change. But I can do it because the Bible says that I can have a new birth and a new identity and a new life. And I don't have to be like everybody else. I don't have to think like everyone else. I don't have to live like this world. I can live the way God tells me to live. They receive the life God gives me through obedient faith. Now I've got a new heart. And I think that's what much of what Ezekiel's trying to say in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. Give me a new heart, O God. Have you ever prayed for that? I wish I had a new heart. A kind of heart that wasn't always thinking about myself, but a kind of heart that's thinking about other people. Wish I had a new heart. A kind of heart that thinks more about God and godly things. What Jesus has done for me and what God's doing for me right now. Wish I had some new ways of thinking. Some thinking that would change my way of life. God can do that for you. He can help me change my heart. I'm in Colossians chapter 1. I think I want to read verse 21. And you who once were alienated. Colossians 1 and 21. Alienated means separated. You once were separated. And hostile in what? Mind. Doing evil deeds. He has now, verse 22, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Look what God can do with you. Look what God can do for you. (coughs) He can give you a new heart. I once was alienated and my mind was in the wrong place. But now I'm reconciled to God. He talks about this matter in a very practical way. I love Colossians chapter 3. While I'm here, I'll just read it. Colossians 3, beginning verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 4. If then you've been raised with Christ. The only thing that raised can mean there is to be raised from the waters of baptism. That's the only time we're going to be raised with him. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You know, it takes a new heart to do that. To be thinking about things above, holy things, spiritual things. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. That's going to take a new heart and a new mind to do that. To be thinking more about things on life's other side. Which becomes the motivation and the purpose for me acting in the present. For you have died. How did that take place? When I was baptized into Christ. I have a new life. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that a wonderful passage to consider (coughs) as he discusses the matter of having a new heart and a new life 
a change that can be ours. It was my intention to go through a number of passages here that talk about that, but I have to be brief. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. There are passages I've mentioned already. Let's do this. Let's work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Not that it all depends upon us, but that we're going to have to do our part in changing our heart and our mind for God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15. The love of Christ constrains us. I think I'll try to turn to that passage and explain it because um, it's important in connection with our present discussion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 14, for the love of Christ controls us. King James uses the word constrains. What that means, controls us, is it motivates us to hold all the pieces together, to hold it all together for Christ, to focus our love for him, Now, I can't be sure in verse 14 if the love of Christ is the love Christ had for me or the love I have for him, but I rather choose to think it includes both. The love he had for me constrains me to have love for him, for the love of Christ controls us. How am I going to change? It is because of my love for Christ and what he has done for me. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. We now have the opportunity to change our lives and to live them acceptably before God. And what's the motivating factor? What's the power to bring about the change? Christ loved me. And I think I need to study this verse with you, First John chapter 3, because he does talk about the love of God here. And... He speaks about it from this perspective. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Think about the nature of the love of God. Now that's what John's doing. He says, you see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God. What a privilege, what a blessing that is. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. They do not honor God. They do not honor his Christ. They do not know him. Therefore, they do not know us. Beloved, we are God's children now. What an honor and a blessing that is. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Now, see, I have to struggle with that. I wish I knew more what he said there in that phrase. Because he is saying in that regard, you don't know all that's in store for you. The intricacies and the details of changing from this life and into eternal life is beyond our ability, I'm sure, to fully fathom and understand, comprehend in a life of flesh. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That doesn't mean that we will become gods or that we will become deity. But we will some way be able to participate in his glory because we shall see him as he is. You see, there's a lot there I don't understand. And I probably can't understand it because of my life living in the flesh. But I want to tell you what it does for me. It gives me power to change and to realize what a wonderful perspective there is out there for me because I'm a child of God and an heir of God.
Then in Psalm 51 and 10, that great passage, which I always love to discuss and talk with you about, there David says, Lord, give me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Help me change. The good news today for you and for me, we can change. We don't have to be like everybody else. And we don't have to be what they tell us to be. We can be what God wants us to be and receive the blessings that God has in store for us. Now, you know what time it is? It's time to do some changing. It's time for us to repent of our sins. We're going to start changing. It's time for us to confess our faith in Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. It's time for us to be baptized into Christ, immersed in water for the remission of our sins. It's time for us to live that new life that we have in Christ Jesus. Not to be so attached and welded to the ways of this world, but now to live the kind of life I read about in the pages of the Bible, the kind of life that is exemplified by those who are found for me in the pages of the Scripture as divine examples of Christian living. The question is, Will you take the moment to change? Will you do it? Will I do it? I can. Is change easy? No, it's not going to be easy. That's why I've often thought repentance may be the more difficult thing to do. To get an individual to see the error of their way and change. It takes a few minutes to be baptized, immersed in water. But sometimes it's hard to change. But you can do it and put on that new life. And you don't have to be like everybody else, dress like everybody else, talk like everybody else, think like everybody else, behave like everybody else. Live like God has told us to live. Will you do it? Will you do it now? Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?